This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly. Manchester United lose at home again, this time to Galatasaray, the cup tears of Wilfred Zaha. More questionable work from Anana and qualification from this Champions League group looks pretty dicey already in a tough night for the best league in the world. TM Arsenal lose in Lens. David Rea not going full Anana, but doesn't cover himself in glory while Bukayo Saka's injured ahead of City at the weekend. Elsewhere in the Champions League, the next episode of Jude Bellingham's quite good and Bayern squeeze past Copenhagen. And then onto the good stuff, the PGMOL recordings of that Luis Diaz goal and another line we can add to the history of the Premier League alongside I would love it if we beat them and when the seagull follows the trawlers we have that's wrong that Daz we're professional enough to remember Monday night football and Chelsea winning a game and cover Burnley's win at Luton all that will pay tribute to Franny Lee take your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly Matthew says, the dream team hearing Lars and Archie laughing in unison is the perfect tonic. Huge pressure then on Jonathan Wilson to make said two laugh. Welcome, Wilson. Morning, how are you doing? Very good. Thank you, Archie. Started already. <laughs> Hello, Archie. You all right, mate? <laughs> God, it's an easy audience, isn't it? Hi, Lars. It's just fun to be alive, Max. No, you make a very good point. Let's start then um, uh, with Manchester United. Jordan says both English teams losing tonight. Will we only see two English teams at most in the next round? Are we the farmers? Uh, John says delay, delay, can't do anything. Does Darren England coach United's defenders? Um, <laughs> so look, it's, uh, <laughs> it's Galatasaray's first Champions League win in five years. Uh, Manchester United have started the competition with two defeats from two. They're bottom of Group A. Um, this Wilson was another tough night. Yeah, and I, I think the the reason why it sort of perhaps will feel most alarming is that for half an hour they were totally fine. They were totally in control. Um, they weren't playing brilliantly, but they were definitely the better side. They, they scored. And you sort of thought, oh, this is going to be a nice, comfortable 2-3-0, get a bit of confidence back. And then as, as soon as they concede, that's in that first goal, I, I know Zaha is, is strong. But, but also Dalek is weak. That was pathetic. That's terrible defending. Like, even if you can't get the right side of him, he had time to bring him down outside the box, maybe take a yellow card. And the little sort of wag of a leg as our hooks it in, it's just so sort of lacking in, in, in focus and determination and the sort of assertiveness you need. And, and that's a sign of their lack of confidence. And once they conceded, they, they, they fell apart. And then... The, the, the collapse in the last twenty minutes was was extraordinary. You know, at two one again, they they looked. Oh, they, they've they're they're fine. They've they've weathered the storm, and then yeah, letting a goal from nowhere, and then Anana has you know, basically gets Casemiro sent off and concedes a penalty with a poor clearance. Um, I mean, the second the second goal they concede, I I still can't work out how does that gap open up between Lindelof and and Varane? It's why would you leave a gap there? In what what bit of defending does anybody think that's a good idea? What I also can't work out is. Why does that not normally happen? So, like, there's something that they do that stops that happening. Maybe it's to do with a holding midfielder dropping deep. Maybe it's to do with Casemiro's loss of pace and loss of uh, general sort of capacity this season. Then they get away with the penalty, and then again the the um, the third goal, the Amrabat clearance. Like, there's a reason why players standing 15 yards behind anybody else on their team don't clear the ball like that in a way can be headed straight back into a massive empty space. But again, it seems such a basic thing. I can't quite work out whose fault that is. Because Amabat's got the ball, so it can't really be his fault. 
So why have Varane and Lindelof just gone wandering forward? They, they must realise there's a chance that ball's going to get headed back into space. And yet, they just keep going. And yeah, credit to Icardi having missed the penalty to take that goal so well. But um, it, was, this, it was a totally needless defeat. It wasn't that they were playing a team who were better than them. It was just they, they, they went into meltdown. And I think that's a really, really worrying sign. Because normally when that happens, the solution is to sack the manager. I really don't think Ten Hag is a problem here. I think he's, yeah, if you list United's problems, he's a long, long way down that list. Barney writing about the third goal, uh, dinking the ball over Anana, who once again was doing things, waving his arms, executing all of the goalkeeping skills, just not necessarily <laughs> in the right order. Um, he's having a bad time, Lars, isn't he? He is, uh, in, in lots of ways. The thing he was sort of signed to be very good at, the distribution, isn't, isn't working very well. Now, that's not just on him, because this is... It's, it takes two to complete a pass, Max, and there's just sometimes people are not positioned very well for him to distribute. But at the same time, you know things aren't working well, and and the shot stopping side of it definitely not going well so far. And and, and I think that's a rough one for for Ten Hag because again they've they've committed a pretty significant amount of money to to bring him in, and he is you know one of his former Ajax guys. So it, it's not a great look for him really when when this sort of stuff doesn't doesn't work out better than it did. I, I think there is a good goalkeeper there, or certainly a much better goalkeeper than we've seen so far. But it's tricky when you go to a club like United when there's that much pressure, that much exposure. You know, everyone will jump up and down on your head every time you make some tiny mistake. And you made quite a few big ones right off the bat. It's it's a tough one to recover from. It's going to take a lot of mental strength from him, I think. Mm, uh, Disco Weapons has a lot of talk on the last part about United's issues. Um, fish rots from the head, etc. As Wilson's just alluded to, at what point does Ten Hag have to start footing some of the blame? He's signed a lot of United squad to fit his style and it's not really working. Feels, Archie, like this is the first time there's been a sort of lot of criticism for Ten Hag. I listened to Monday's pod and I struggle to disagree with with anything that was said there, particularly about the way that the culture has really infected this and and the reason part of the reason why Ten Hag's Ajax was successful was also because of that wider picture and it is very different for example if you take Andre Onana into this environment where you're the, the whole thing with Ten Hag is high risk that's the if it if it works then it 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 all comes off and the problem is is that when you're trying to take those risks on low confidence it those risks go up in terms of the danger of them. And I, I agree with Jonathan that, I look, he, he's, he's, he's down the list of problems, but it's not helping in that sense. And I also think, I wonder how David De Gea is feeling right now. Well, but like, he was also not very good last season, which I think is one of those, I mean, it's, it's a very obvious... Sure, sure he didn't have a good season, right? But too much within Manchester United is it pinned on on individuals when... I, you know, and they've just tried, well, if we exchange this with a better individual, then it'll work. Oh, but it's not, with, with, sorry, but with De Gea, it's not just a better individual. You can't play Ten Hag style football with De Gea. He's, ba- he's bad with his feet. That's why he didn't get in the Spain national team. So if you have De Gea there, you're, you're, you're putting a restraint on Ten Hag. And I actually thought one of the impressive things about Ten Hag last season was the way that after those first two games when he lost to Brighton and Brentford, he was able to adapt that. And I assumed this season, bringing in Anana, that that they'd be able to work that out. And I, you know, I, th- I think the, the point last makes that it's not just Anana. I think that's actually a crucial one. That 
uh, you, know, you need people to move for him. You need you know, people to play that, that type of football. But all over the pitch, you've got people who don't quite fit in. And, and so I think there's, there's, there's sort of two, two huge issues there for, for Ten Hag. So the first is he's gone out on a limb to sign Anthony initially and then Anana, players he's worked with before and he's paid an enormous amount of money. And so ultimately that does come back to him. Yeah, he, he, he demanded... Yeah, Anthony was way beyond their budget for, the, for that window. So they, they used half the budget from the following window, uh, which has restricted what they could buy. And then because their, their transfer strategy has been so scattergun for so long, they've got all these bits that just don't work. And there's just sticking plasters all over. So Casemiro was a sticking plaster. It makes no sense if you're building for the future to sign a, a 30, 31-year-old midfielder when he, when he was signed for £60 million, who's not really the right type of player for the manager you brought in. Now, Casemiro was a good enough player that last season he was one of their better players, certainly in the first part of the season. But age is catching up with him. And you also think, why have El Madrid letting the 30-year-old go? They know there's something not quite right there. You know, they've kept Modric, so Modric is, what, 37, 38 now? They don't mind having an old midfielder, but they've seen something in Casemiro that said, actually, we don't need this guy anymore. And then even something like Amrabat, there's a reason why he was still at Fiorentina. I know he had a good World Cup, but he's just not that good a player. He's a sticking plaster. He's fine. He's a squad player. But why are they bringing in squad players? Why, are they, why do they never identify anybody who gets better? Well, it's also the danger that the situation they're in is that they now just need saviours whenever anyone's coming in in the transfer market. And anybody who, right, regardless of their status, is going to look like, well, can you solve all our problems? And that's... I guess, unfairly being put onto Amrabat in that sense. I just think it's particularly unfair on Amrabat to, to chuck him into a pretty dysfunctional team that's low on confident, getting criticised, and stick him at left-back, which is, I, I looked this up, he'd played left-back a total of three games in his entire career before going to Man United. And I know things are, you have injury problems, right? You don't have a lot of options, but you could... Again, you could chuck in either Evans or Harry Maguire to that bat in the middle, put Lindelof out on right back, which he's done a few times, and and put Dalo at left back, and then at least people are sort of vaguely familiar with the positions they're playing, instead of chucking in a guy who's completely new into the team in a position that he's almost never played. Like I think when again, with that weird goal that comes from the magnificent defense splitting Davinson Sanchez header, um, <laughs> it is a really odd. It's a deeply odd goal to concede. The whole like like Wilson touched on, but it is. Come on, you, well, no, Spurs never utilised that, didn't they? Spurs yeah, had years put, to put find out what Davidson was there for. If only, <laughs> if only Conte had realised this is you know just <laughs> flick it up for Davidson to head it forward. You know all the through balls. For yeah, but no, it's it's an odd looking goal because you don't often see the left back be the furthest one down and the centre half just kind of hanging out. But if we're trying to unpack how on earth that happens, I think having a left back who's almost literally never played left back before is kind of probably part of the reason why you end up in that situation. The one positive, Rasmus Hoyland did look great and with speed and strength and subtlety and all of those things amidst the chaos. So Alan says Galatasaray are fun, aren't they? Like, they're like a modern version of Big Sam's best Bolton team. Full of names, you're kind of surprised are there. <laughs> Bolton, <laughs> Bolton on the Bosphorus. It's a great idea. And, you know, and actually mention of, a mention of Icardi, like... Like, it is great to finish straight after you miss that penalty. And he'd done it the week before, you know, in the sort of, uh, as his part in the Cruyff-Jesper Olsen uh, penalty and just rolled it wide. It's an amazing, it's an amazing, if you haven't seen it, you've got to see it because the ball is laid off to him and he runs through and you think, well, that's a brilliant, that's brilliant. They've made it work and he sometimes misses it. But then he scored a, a bit later in the league and he did the same again. 
There's, there's a great moment with, with uh, it was after the, the second equaliser went in and the camera cut to Highland. And there's a, there's a famous story when Brian Clough was at Sunderland. It was when there was sort of rumours of match fixing going on. Um, so this is early 60s. And Clough had scored a hat-trick and I can't, can't remember if it was 3-3 or Sunderland lost 4-3 in an away game. And on the bus back, Clough walks down the front of the bus and goes, now, I've done my job. Why the fuck can't you do yours? And you can sort of see Highland saying the Danish version <laughs> of that, standing on the halfway line, shaking yeah. his head. The group's difficult now. You know, They've got to go to Galatasaray. Um, they need a result there or against Bayern at home, you presume to get through. Uh, Jen Sancho expected to leave in January, uh, reports um, coming out today. Um, Dortmund rumoured to want him back. I don't know if there's any truth in that, Archie, or is that just the easy rumour to, to put together? I think so. And... It, the the uh, the counter report from Germany to that in recent weeks has been well Dortmund a can't afford him for for what they'd have to pay for him on a on a permanent deal because it's said that United only want uh, a permanent one but also that they are unsure about his indiscipline and the fact that he stayed up late at night gaming uh, the night away so I. To, to be fair, though, if, if, he, if he was to be available, I think Dortmund would take him at the, at the right price. Also in this group, Bayern 1-2-1 at Copenhagen. And look, they had a scare, didn't they, Archie? In this? When you were talking about Galatasaray and Bayern there, Max, to be honest, Copenhagen deserve a word as well because they've been really unfortunate not to get anything here. And even from the first group game as well, where they were 2-0 up on Galatasaray and... I, they were they were really good here, and it was only the individual quality, dancing feet, twinkle toes, once again, of Jamal Musiala, who still has this ability to dribble and dribble and dribble, and it looks like the opponent's going to take it off him, and somehow the ball he, he'll bobble it through them, and I, I've seen it. I saw it a couple of times. I was thinking. Uh, he's, he's fluking this. But it just keeps happening now that I'm like, okay, it, it's some sort of technical thing that he has developed because it's insane. And the, and the funniest thing about it from a Bayern perspective is that he was about to be substituted by Thomas Tuchel as well. Um, so, yeah, Bayern continue to underperform under Thomas Tuchel in terms of when it comes to the grand master plan coming together. Things are, are, not, are not slotting in right now. And I don't really see much of an improvement since they sacked Julian Nagelsmann. But uh, the substitutes dug them out um, at, at the end. Thomas Muller, uh, the way that he ran through... He's brilliant for that goal. Oh, brilliant, isn't he? But I, th- I don't think I've seen him run through one-on-one with a goalkeeper since uh, the Euro 2020 knockout game against England. So I kind of had flashbacks and was like, uh-oh. Except this time he's got an 18-year-old sprinter up next to him in Matty Stell who is having a remarkable season in that every time he comes off the bench he at least assists or in most cases he scores ultimately Bayern got away with it but if I was Manchester United I would not be relishing these two games against Copenhagen FC Copenhagen right if you look at the some of the names on the team sheet and the budget and stuff then you assume that this is going to be fine for these big European teams but if you look back in the last sort of 15-ish years in Europe. They've beaten Man United before at home. They've beaten Lille. They've beaten Galatasaray, Club Brugge. But actually here, teams they've beaten at home. And, and they've 
last season they held City, Sevilla, and Dortmund at home. Like they're not an easy team to to, to go out and beat in Denmark. So I think again, without bringing everything back to United, it, it, it's the group is in an interesting spot. It really is. Uh, all right, that'll do for part one. Part two will begin with Arsenal's defeat in Lens. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. We're going on tour, uh, uh, starting in London on November the 13th. Uh, tickets still available for that show and the Manchester show. So uh, on the 13th, Alice James, Troy Townsend, Philippe Claire. On the 15th, John Bruin, Nader Manuha, and the Will Unwin Anecdotes with me and Barry. Uh, the live stream, of course, on the 22nd, Nicky Bandini, Johnny Lou. Uh, so wherever you are on earth, theguardian.com slash Tour. 23 to Group B then, which also looks pretty interesting, doesn't it? Um, Arsenal lost 2-1 uh, in Lens. Uh, Lens first winning the Champions League for over two decades. And that last was some atmosphere there, wasn't it? It was great. Absolutely terrific. And uh, it was one of those games where I, I I was watching it in the pub, but you just, from the TV images, you really wanted to be there. <laughs> it looked like a tremendous time. So, yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, it, you know, there was something about... I, I hate I, I kind of hate digging out commentators because that's an incredibly difficult job and I would be profoundly bad at it. But, you know, when the first goal happened, you know, Arsenal score after a sort of unfortunate Lance giveaway. I, I, I did hear on the English commentary that, well, Lance are, are learning that at this level you, you cannot afford to give it away like that, which was a bit of a sort of, there, there was a slightly condescending tinge to that, I thought. Uh, so the Lance, you know, little plucky Lance trying their hand at this level against the team that hasn't been in the Champions League for seven years, by the way. And, uh, and did they say uh, exactly uh, the same thing when David Ray gave the ball? This away is the thing for... he did not, Max. He did not say that <laughs> uh, because, of course, yeah, Arsenal also learned that at this level you cannot afford to give the ball away like that. Shortly thereafter, that finish uh, by Thomason Wilson was so perfect. Because it's really hard to hit a ball that's sort of that high. Nick Ames in his report called it a half volley and may never be on the pod again. I'm not sure how, <laughs> how big I feel that crime was. Well, I think, I think you need to do a, a full review into that and see what access he had to replays. Because I, I, I agree it was a goal that had the feel of a half volley while it clearly was not a half volley. So mm. it may be that Lance not having been in the Champions League for 20-odd years. Um, in fact, I think one of my... Maybe I was at the last ever Champions League, the previous Champions League game there, because I think they hosted Lille for a while when Lille were doing stadium redevelopment. And I remember being there when Lille lost 1-0 to Manchester United in 2005. Mm-hmm. And were they replaced? Were they replaced? No, it was a pretty, pretty, right. uh, pretty shambolic ground. Some awful. Pl- I mean, it was France, so obviously the policing was horrendous. It was a really nasty night. There was loads of little things going off and tear gas being fired. Uh, Ryan Giggs scored a quickly taken free kick. So it may be, what well, my point is, it may be he only had the chance to see it once. And I could see why your brain, your brain would be tricked into thinking it was a half volley because it had, it had yeah. the feel and shape of a half volley while being a brilliantly controlled, curled, I want to say yeah. a, a cushion volley wasn't really cushioned because he hit, I don't know, yeah, it's, it's sort of a, a clipped it's on the volley. It's on the volley. It's on the volley, isn't it? It's not a volley. It's on the volley, if I'm going to get yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. It's a yeah, much, fair. much harder skill than a, than a half volley. It was, I mean, that and the Braga equaliser, the two be- best goals of the That the Braga night, game was a load of brilliant goals in that game. Anyway, uh, sorry. It feels different, this, Archie, given where Arsenal are. You know, getting through the group is no nowhere near guaranteed, and they've not been the Champions League for a while, and that might be a bit rusty. But it does feel different to you know the, the previous you know defeat for a Premier League side that we talked about in part one. 
Lons were quite good. Arsenal were okay. And I don't think they should perhaps sort of, you know, it's not a crisis. No, it's not a crisis. Uh, first defeat of the season. Also, uh, Lons is a difficult place to go in Liga. And with that atmosphere, which I'd already known from some French friends of mine is is legendary there. Add to that, they won 17 of their 19 home games in Liga last season and finished a point behind PSG. Uh, that tells you a lot. And and he, and that said as well, like on a different night, I think that Arsenal don't necessarily lose that game still because some of the goalkeeping from uh, from Bryce Samba was exceptional. Um, the save he made from Tomiyasu, I know it's straight at him, but that was hit at the speed of a rocket. So, I it's it's still quite an impressive feat to keep that out. And yeah, I, I think. The one issue that's going to continue following Arsenal around right now is who's in goal because of of the the nature of you, you mentioned that first goal from Thomason, but uh, also it wasn't David Raya's uh, most auspicious moment. And yeah, I I think just because of the way we've come to view goalkeeping and how that how it works with when you pick a goalkeeper in a team and the relationship between him and a back four or back three, etc. It's going to be a very difficult issue for Mikel Arteta to have to continually navigate through the season and particularly after nights like this. I think it's interesting that because it's, it is the conventional logic that you have one goalkeeper and he's your goalkeeper. Now, you can rationally say there's no particular reason why you can rotate every other spot on the team, but not that one. But, but I also think there must be a reason why no one has ever done it, really. And, and the fact that goalkeepers seem to... When you listen to ex-goalkeepers speak, they seem to value the you know feeling like you're the number one and not having that pressure of everything could see you bench the next day, and that, that seems to be a problem for them. I'd also just throw out, maybe you already had it in your little plan, Max, but since it's it's been such a big talking point, and I haven't quite decided what I think about it, so I'm just going to throw it out there. You know, is there a case to be made that Saka shouldn't have started this? You know, and, and, and that is sort of being wise after the fact, obviously, when he goes off, but he takes a lot of knocks. Uh, he plays a lot of games. They have a huge game at the weekend. It's so big in the context of, of the Premier League season. They're probably going to go through in this group. You could have afforded to, to give Saka a night off, off given what's happening at, at the weekend. But then again, Saka doesn't seem to get any nights off. He's, he just seems to play every single game Arsenal play ever. Which leads me to the next question. Is is that is that a good thing, really, given he's still quite a young man and uh, and all that sort of stuff? I mean, I, 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 I think that is a huge problem. That, that that when you give him a time off, I I don't know what you know. I can see some logic of of right win your first three Champions League games and then you can take the last three group games off. Maybe that's the the you know the hope. But I, I think he does play far too much football. I, I so I feel I've spent most of the season whenever I watch Arsenal watching him go down, thinking, oh 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 dear, is he? You know, he seems to have had a lot of knocks this season. Now the the early prognosis is that it's maybe not too bad. It was precautionary. And I guess if there's any chance he can play on Sunday, he will. But that in itself is 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 quite a dangerous thing. This was related to um, uh, Evan Ferguson, and uh, Ken Early uh, did a piece. I, I think it was after Ferguson had, had got the hat trick against Newcastle, and he was sort of saying, "Is he playing too much?" And he compared him to Michael Owen at the same age. And Michael Owen had, had scored three hat tricks as an eighteen-year-old. Um, the only two other players before Ferguson had. Had got even one as an eighteen-year-old, 
And he was looking back at the coverage of Michael Owen then. And there was this line that Roy Evans had come out with. You know, he was asking, you know, are you worried you're playing him too much? And he was sort of, oh, you know, do you have to be a braver man than I to leave him out after he scored a hat-trick there? And, you know, if you, if you drop him, he's, he's, you know, he's, he's in your office complaining. And in retrospect, you sort of think, oh, I kind of wish Roy Evans had been a braver man. I mean, that's not but an easy criticism because... No. I mean, it's just so hard though, isn't it? Because it's just the nature of football is so immediate, right? And, you know, Saka in your team is better than Saka not in your team, especially if Martinelli is still injured, which I, I think he is. You know, that... So you can... It's totally understandable from a manager's position. Well, it it is. And yet at the same time, that you know, part of the job of a manager is he, he does have a duty of care and responsibility to those players and indeed to the club, not to, not to damage that asset. Oh, sure. And, you know, I know that people were critical of Guardiola at times for not playing Foden more, but maybe Foden will will have a longer career because of that. And I think there's a... Well, Saka's been pretty fortunate with injuries so far in his career. Maybe he's just one of those people who, who doesn't get injured, but you sort of worry that he's going to be getting to 27, 28. He's going to have played as many games as most sort of 32, 33-year-olds and there will be a an attrition on, on the body that means his career isn't as long as you hope it would be. Started 37 games in the Premier League last season, started 36 the season before that. So like, not a lot of days off for young Bukayo, which um, I'm sure he's delighted with, but um, I think Wilson speaks very presciently on it. PSV 2, Severe 2, three very late goals. Uh, uh, De Jong uh, equalising for PSV in the 86th minute. El Nesri putting Severe back 2-1 uh, up. And then uh, Teze scoring an injury time uh, for PSV. Uh, in Group C, uh, Napoli 2, Real Madrid 3. Uh, Mike says, question for Archie, how bad were the rest of the Dortmund team that they had both Haaland and Bellingham and still didn't win all the trophies? Um, <laughs> this is perhaps harsh, but wow, Jude Bellingham was insane in this game, Archie. Uh, carrying on from the Bukayo Saka uh, conversation, I- I'm really hoping that, Jude Bellingham holds out as well. The amount of football that he's had to play. But the difficulty is, how good is he? I, I remember when when Birmingham took a lot of flack about the fact that they retired his shirt number. And the longer that things are going on, Max, I'm thinking, was it enough? And last night, I, I floated <laughs> the idea, I think they should rename the club Bellingham City right now because he yeah. is so good. It is insane. I, I remember there was a game actually where I uh, had had the day off from uh, from TV duties and was just able to go to I think it was Cologne Dortmund and just I just decided to watch Bellingham for ninety minutes and just there is so much going on with him uh, and the way that he that that games seem to revolve around him and that he's able to just take things into his own destiny. And like you know, the thing to do that at Napoli as well on a Champions League night, he's making it look very facile. When I these are very very difficult things, which players with much more experience have struggled to do. And maybe it is actually that that freshness about him, that the fact that he's not thinking about it, that helps to helps him to just have this this ease that he has. Because yeah, he's he's um he's so, and I know he's wearing the five for Real Madrid, Lars. But the way he moves, it does. You do think you're watching Zidane sometimes. Yeah, and no, it's it's interesting how much they've freed him up to be an attacking force at at uh, 
Real Madrid, because of course he did get forward for, for Dortmund as well, but it was more of a number eight sort of all-action midfielder type of man. But it just seems like because of the squad composition at Real Madrid, it kind of just kind of makes sense for him to to be a little more more attacking in his output. And uh, fair to say, so far this season, that has worked out well. Yeah. Uh, the, the goals just kind of keep coming in. And it's, um, no, no, he, he, he is absolutely incredible. Kay says, who hit it harder, Valverde or Pressman? I mean, it was a great hit, wasn't it, from Valverde uh, that, that went in off the keeper. There was another one of those penalties, um, which I can't be bothered to talk about. So on the, on the point of that handball, the the worst handball decision, certainly the worst handball decision I saw last night, was the disallowed severe goal. That didn't even hit his hand. A, yeah. If it had hit his hand, it was literally could not have been more tucked into his body. And it, it was hit into him from like three yards away. And B, it didn't actually hit his hand. Yeah. Doesn't the law say that if it does hit his hand, it has to be disallowed because he scored the goal? No, didn't he set it up? Didn't he cross it? No, no, no. He, it was no, him who scored it, was it? Okay. But yeah. I mean, it's still yeah, very frustrating. ludicrous. This is where I hate to interject. We did have, there was a comment after Monday's episode on the internet that there was too much uh, old men yelling at clouds in that one. So I feel like we should just skip over these handballs. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I, I, there's a lot of yelling at clouds, I think, I, I, I want to do about the current state of the handball thing. But maybe maybe it's... I, I, I'm, now, I'm now at the point of, I would, I would legalise handballs. <laughs> I'd say you play with your hand. Just, as long as you don't catch it, I'm so sick of it. Just, just say it's fine. Yeah, I, do you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm so much more angry about that than you know the the VAR mistake that we'll get to, because I just think this is you know VAR has done this where now we're just there are people going oh I, I'm I'm happy with that being a handball like like Pete there are I'm amazed I'm just watching going how can anyone not just be so utterly furious about it yeah I think it's a very good point because again we'll get to it but that that does seem like a, just an honest stupid human mix-up whereas this is just a huge problem in law like this mm. is it, it's the way the law is and the way it's applied has made it almost impossible to be yeah. a defender who has arms attached to his body it's just which is just which is usually most of them have and I'm sorry to carry on yelling at clouds but like where Nacho's arms go is much more natural than if they were behind his back when he slid down. That would be a totally unnatural place for them to be, yet that's where everybody wants them to be. Um, also in this group, Braga won 3-2 at Union Berlin. Oh, the good guys, Archie. They've been so unlucky so far, <laughs> haven't they? Twice they've been done in the 94th minute. Like, it's, it's insane. Like, they should have won this game. They, they had all the chances to win this. Um... And there are very little excuses for them not doing that. Uh, but yeah, for them, I, I don't know if you saw as well that big banner um, that they had before the game where, uh, to, to read it out, it was it, it was about the size of the stadium they usually play in, Stadion an der Altenförsterei, where it said, UEFA stadium infrastructure regulations, you don't care about the sport, all you care about is money. Just to explain that, uh, it's because you may think, well, Union actually rejected the chance to play at their home stadium, which is true. But the the reasoning from uh, Union is that that's because they would have been forced by UEFA to install extra seats for media and VIPs, therefore taking away even more chances from from their own fans. Um, hence the benefit of them playing in the Olympic Stadium in, in their rivals' Hertha Stadium last night. Um, but yeah, uh, just to return to the football, look, they did lose their first two games of the Europa League campaign last year and qualify with four back-to-back wins. Yes, they are in a group with Real Madrid here, but the fact that Real Madrid beat Napoli last night 
I think is good for the group. Uh, for, um, for the group, I mean for the likes of Braga and Union, because it means that, well, actually, if Real Madrid are away from everyone else in terms of points, then it opens it up and Union's next game is at home to Napoli. So they're still not out of this and they've shown that they can still create chances, but it's tough. It's going to be tough. Uh, Archie, can I ask you, because obviously Union are in a truly incredible place for Union to be. It's still kind of surreal and weird. But they have now lost six games on the bounce in all competitions. I mean, is that affecting sort of the vibe of the place? I mean, how has that affected things? Yeah, it, it has. But but th- this is also the best crisis they've ever had. The last time they had such a crisis <laughs> like this was when they were in the fourth tier. So what a great way to look at it. in terms of in terms of the results. Like there are still. I was chatting to Union fan last night, and he's like, "Yeah, but still, let's not forget where we've come from here." <laughs> And I mean, look, there's still that Leonardo Bonucci is playing at centre-back for them. This is insane. I will mention this every time because I still can't get my head around it. So yeah, things like, particularly in front of goal, it's the first time I've ever seen Urs Fischer um, look flustered. I mean, the way he dresses as well, the fact that he's, he's... He's been forced into a suit. He looks like he's gone to a job interview. And the fact that he's kept his 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 baseball cap as well, just to kind of keep the image, I kind of fits it that it just hasn't quite worked yet in the Champions League. But I think just the main thing is their taking of the chances. And that's usually been one of their best things is how efficient they are in front of goal. I didn't know you had to wear a suit. Does that mean he have to wear a suit or it just feels like he has to because it's the Champions League? Anyway, Group D, uh, Inter beat Benfica, Sociedad won in Salzburg, Sociedad and Inter both on four points. Um, uh, Jeff says, I hope there's time for a farewell to Franny Lee, um, central to the best player fight ever with Norman Hunter in 1975. Barry Davis commentating for Derby against City. Interesting, very interesting. And look at his face. Just look at his face. Uh, Paul Haywood writing in the paper. Lee crammed many lives into his 79-year trajectory. Bolton City, Derby, Barnstormer, England star at the 1970 World Cup in Mexico, toilet roll tycoon, city chairman, successful racehorse trainer. His essential nature was unchanged by personal reinvention or wealth. He was a relatable generation of household names. They like to drink and live by anecdote. Time has swept away many of those great footballers of the 60s and now has come calling for those of the 70s. Of course, Man City play Leipzig uh, in the Champions League uh, tonight, uh, Wednesday, and they'll be wearing black armbands um, as a mark of respect uh, for Franny Lee's passed away at the age of 79. Uh, we'll be back in a second. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. David writes, who came up with the title, The Football Weekly Book? I know, it's catchy, isn't it? Uh, it's out now. Um, are we a bestseller yet, Wilson? Did we make the list? No, no I don't, I don't think, think we, we did. did. Um, oh. I, think, I think, yeah. The thing is, we were... Our listeners have let us we down. We were within a couple of... The, so so the, 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 the tenth was, I think it was only 200 more than we had on the Thursday. I don't know when the cutoff is, I don't know when they stopped counting. So we were, we were close, but not quite there. <sighs> oh. And is that it now? You don't, you don't, you know, you've had. Well, that, chance, that was right? sort of three months of pre-orders. So, like, if we can't, oh. we can't do that. <laughs> maybe it'll maybe, take maybe, off. Maybe word of mouth. Um, well, let's be realistic. Once people have read it, it's not going to help sales. <laughs> okay. Maybe the cheap ad. Yeah, what a shame. Um, <laughs> you can get fifteen percent off if you go to the Guardian Bookshop, uh, guardianbookshop.com/slash/football-hyphen-weekly-hyphen-book. If all of you listening bought it. 
it would go to the top of the charts. That's all I'm saying. I, I, I heard some... Did someone say there was going to be an ad on a tube yeah. stop somewhere? Yeah, I think so. But we don't know Do if you it's... know which one? No. We have to, we have <laughs> to yeah. find... Yeah. I presume it's more yeah. than one. I don't, to... I don't, do, you think, do you think they're cheaper the further... Like, if you go to, like, Collier's Wood, is that cheaper than Oxford Circus? Presumably Played it is. boys. <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely... That costs nothing if you're an Amersham. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, you do have to find a way of very subtly bringing someone to that tube stop in a social yeah. occasion so you can kind of show off. That's... But then hopefully it isn't somewhere really <laughs> random because then that's much harder to work into your social schedule. To, to be honest, if I come all the way from here, I'm happy to go to that, you know. <laughs> it's, anyway, my, uh, Michael says, when will Football Weekly release their hidden audio? Certain, certainly not this episode. <laughs> yes, a very good point. <laughs> That's funny for us and no one else. Mark says, how often is producer Joel ignored replay operator style when the panel goes off on one in uh, of its many detailed rants? Um, uh, Ian, after the vain but heroic efforts of replay operator, when if any of the panel struggled to get their vital point across? And Colin says, should they have listened to Ollie? Anyway, uh, before we discuss it, um, we're going to play the audio because I could listen to it over and over and over again. Here it is. Give it. Coming back for the offside, mate. Just checking the offside, dilly dilly. Give a kick point, let's go. Yep. Kick point, yeah, please. No so, here we are. Wait, okay. Um, just get a tight angle. Yeah, give me 2D line ready, I feel as well, for frame right, two so after that. Frame, That's fine. Frame two there. Perfect. I've got yep. the time on this, I've 2D line on left boot. Yep. Well, let me just switch angles. I think it might be this angle better. Hey. Happy with okay. this angle? Yeah. Yep. 2D line on the boot. 2D line on the boot. Yep, okay. So 2D line on the boot. Check in. complete. Check complete. It's fine. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Off. Thank you, mate. Thank you, mate. Wait, wait, wait. wait. On-field decision was offside. Are you are you happy with this? Yeah. Are you happy with this? Offside decision. Right. Go. Yeah. That's, no, that's what it does. What? On-field decision was offside. Are you happy with this Never image? Yes, yeah, it's onside. The image we gave him is onside. Left back. He's played. He's yeah. gone offside. Out. Delay, delay, delay. Oli's saying to delay. Oli's saying to delay. Pardon? Oli's calling in to say delay the game. To to complete the decision is offside. Listen. Oli's saying to delay. Oli's saying to delay. Oli? Yeah. Delay the game. To delay the game. Stop the game. They've restarted the game. Yeah, they've restarted. Yeah. Can't do anything. No. I can't do anything. I Stay can't back. do anything. Uh, so, yeah, it finishes on that expletive. Uh, David says, is there a more supportive workplace than Stockley Park? Good process, lads. <laughs> <laughs> what do we... I mean, it is funny, right? I don't know anyone else thinks this. I sort of think until the mistake, I think, God, this is quite a slick process. I sort of like hearing what's going on. This is good. And it, I, I mean, I think all it does, doesn't it, is reinforce the fact that two people froze Lars at the vital moment yeah and and it does you you do kind of get the sense that the replay operator knows at one point and could have possibly spoken out a little bit more I don't know that was kind of the vibe I was getting that this is Mm. No, there, there is a couple. Uh, yeah, but there's clearly a hierarchy there, though, right? The replay oper- operator is clearly the yeah, which is the problem, right? There shouldn't. Yeah, be. I, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But I also think there's a yeah. Well, you sort of you, you think why does it work so well in cricket, but not in football? And it's because in cricket, the, the the there's such a limited number of things you can check that they can have a very simple protocol. Is it a no ball? Yes, no. Okay, you've done that. 
yeah, you, you check whether it's it's hit the bat. Again, yes, no, and then you check ball tracking. Yeah, where does it pitch? Where's it going on to hit? And there's a very simple series of of stages, and all fa- all fans know that, and so you know the process they're going through. Whereas football, even the first stage of that could spring off in so many different directions, even for an offside. It's really, really difficult. And I think that's why it hasn't really worked in football. But also there's the pressure, isn't it, to get going yeah, again, which doesn't yeah. really exist in, in cricket. Well, I, I, and, and to be honest, the, the, the kind of, I, th- I think journalists and fans haven't helped with that, with saying, oh, why does it take so long? You know, if you, know, if you can't decide in, in a minute, then just say it's not clear enough. It's, well, if you're going to stop the game, you might as well get it right. Mm. I, I I think it's really yeah. interesting you say, Lars, about the replay because I actually think I agree. I, I think what it's for, yeah, it's dangerous to read too much into one thing. But I get the sense he is going, guys, what are you, what the <laughs> hell are you doing? Right, but yeah. at the same yeah, time, yeah, yeah, yeah. you sort of feel like he can't go to his superiors. Fuck's sake, lads! This is fucking ridiculous. What he's doing almost except he can. Except he just can't in England. I think some countries I think are more hierarchical. Yeah, others. possibly. I don't know. And then Ollie, who is Ollie Kahoot. Uh, who is, I hope I pronounced that correctly, the VR Hub Operations Executive. And he's not in the room. So he's yelling to the replay operator going, delay, delay, delay. So, I don't know what, head-butting a wall. Um, obviously, everyone's now been on his LinkedIn. He spent four years at Hawkeye, has a degree in sports technology, and between 2007 and 2013, spent six years as a rollerblading coach voluntarily at the Arena Leisure Centre in Camberley. I don't know if that's important for all of this. Um, but does it... Do you think releasing the audio is a, has helped? No. I, 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 think, I think the timing of it as well is that we know that there's been this hesitation over the release of the audio. Um, whereas if, if it was a, a set process of knowing when audio of, of, of the events would be released, I, I think that... It's it's made things worse, and also because you you know that it's only happened because of the amount of uh, conversation that there's been a, around this decision, and that like it, it happened in a correct me if I'm wrong, but before this point in the season, no audio had been released just for one specific event, as opposed to uh, you know they had that first show where where they went through the decisions. And yeah, I think it's just heightened the problems for, for everyone. I think you, you need to have processes that, that you stick to. And yeah, I, I, I mean, look at the way that... So do you think a process... Sorry, sorry. Do you think a process where every time there's a mistake, they release the audio? It doesn't seem stupid to me. I don't think it's bad to right. really. I don't think it... I don't know if I agree that it hurts. I know what you mean about going, well, I've just done this on this specific occasion i think it's worth asking i mean the end goal here surely is that everyone wants better refereeing right hopefully that's the end goal uh and <laughs> i'm not sure yes. getting into a situation where the people sitting in the var room and the officials know that if they make a mistake if they make any kind of mistake then they'll be kind of put in the stocks in front of a global audience for everyone to point and laugh at them as much fun as good process lads and you know that's wrong that that is, that is funny but I'm not sure adding that extra layer of, of pressure and humiliation, frankly, on all the refs from now on, it, it will be conducive to actually getting better refereeing on the field. I'm not sure it helps. And so I feel like, as I don't like the president, but I can understand that given the sort of temperature of the discourse and just a sheer amount of just absolute lunatics on the internet who are going on about conspiracy theories and stuff, 
fueled, by the way, increasingly by members of the media who frankly should know better. Uh, given the situation in the last couple of days, I can understand why they felt it was necessary. But frankly, it shouldn't have been necessary to do any more than play this to a couple of officials from Liverpool FC to satisfy them that this was an honest mistake. And then they can make a public statement saying we've been reassured that this is fine. And then you wouldn't have to actually throw your own people under the bus the way they've had to here. But I, I don't know why. Why can't all the audio be available? Why can't it be available in real time as it is in other sports? I'm not saying play, playing it over the, the PA in the stadium, but you can have earpieces where if you want to, you can listen to it. Um, and at least one of the coaching staff on, on each bench would be able to do that. I, I, as, as I said before, it's, it's not like cricket where you have a very set series of steps and you know exactly where you are. But at least to know what they're looking at. Okay, maybe there would be some self-consciousness early on um, as they're talking to each other. But that once they get used to it, that would soon fade. You can have kind of pretty set jargon of what you say. So, you know, first thing... Yeah, maybe actually tell, yeah, say this is the decision we're looking at. Just confirm that, so you know what the decision is, whether you're going to overturn it or not. So you know what the base decision is, and then you say, okay, where's the frame where we're where we're happy he's playing the ball? Okay, we got that locked. Right, where we're we drawing the line, we're drawing it on that, you know, the left toe and the right shoulder or whatever. You know, so yeah, the defender's right shoulder, the forward's left toe. Where are the lines? Okay, he's 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 onside. Therefore, it's a goal. What was the initial decision? That was not a goal. Okay, we're overturning the decision. It's a goal. I, I, you know, if you have a, a series of steps like that, I, I don't see why you wouldn't uh, want want it to be to be public. I definitely think clearer terminology seems to be a good idea. It's a little bit informal. The chat seems to be, and like, I mean, you do have a problem. I accept you have a problem, not with offsides, but you have a problem if two players jostle in the box because. You know, it, it might be quite difficult to describe that in words, but at least say we're looking at that moment where the where the left shoulder of forward and the right shoulder of the defender come together. Yeah, to, to, is is that sufficient to be a foul? Is 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 he trying to impede him? At, at least hear what their thought process is, and maybe articulating that is difficult. But at, at least trial it. Let's 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 see what it's like rather than the mess we've got at the minute. And this, yeah, this was what I always felt with VAR. It was potentially a good idea when it was implemented, but I never felt it was tested properly. It should have been tested fully, you know, a lower league somewhere. And journalists, coaches, players, fans should all have had access to that, um, being able to see how it was working, being able to sort of have a consultation. But as with so much today, not just in football, these things seem to be presented as a fait accompli. And consultation is so unfashionable now. Uh, and the result is you get, you know, you're desperately trying to sort of retrofit it afterwards. And also, look, the, the whole point, I think Pastor Cogley said it well after the game, is VAR has meant there are fewer mistakes, but it will never mean there are no mistakes. So it, it, I think Rory Smith was on Five Live on Monday saying that it was kind of missold to people, that this would solve everything and it just won't. But just who said this, honestly? do that. Can someone point me in the direction of anyone from FIFA, IFAB, anyone from any public capacity who went out and said everything's going to be fine now? Or was that just people who are idiots who thought that a system operated by humans would not have human error in them because honestly if you thought that you need to try harder i think it was pe people were sold on the idea that things would be better i think i think that that's closer to what was sold and i think the problem is is that the way that football has gone in in so many different ways aside from var i i think that's that's probably the bigger issue that people have that it just actually represents another change from how they know football and it does feel like a different sport to the one that I grew up watching, and just even the pace of the game, like that, the this, you know, the the end to end incessant nature of 
a live game where you've not got anybody interrupting it and the games do have that that natural flow that feels like it's it's going and it's become more artificial and I think that football should live from the stadium experience and I think that's I, a really key point because one of the things I was talking to people in Sweden about this weekend was it was about VAR and I'm I'm guessing the German ultra um, view is very similar to the Swedish ultra view, which is yeah. VAR, VAR is it's designed for you know it, it's it's come about because of people watching on TV. If you're in the stand, a decision is made on the pitch, and it might be three, four, five hours later you see the replay that proves it's wrong, and by then well the game's over, it's gone. But if you're sitting on your couch at home watching on telly, seconds after the instant you see the replay and you think, "Well, it's outrageous! He was clearly offside, or that was clearly handball." And so the people who are irritated by wrong decisions in in the moment are people you're watching at home. Equally, the delay impinges much more on people in the stadium. You know, the, the lack of spontaneity of celebration, the fact you're hanging around for three, four, five minutes waiting for, for something to happen. If you're sitting at home, yeah, you can go and make a cup of coffee while you're waiting for it. Or you, you're watching the replays trying to work it out. It doesn't. It doesn't affect your enjoyment in the way it affects enjoyment in the stadium. So I, I, th- I think the, the the sort of fundamental point, certainly from the, the view of a Swedish fan point of view, and what's interesting is because clubs in Sweden are fan owned, seventeen of the thirty two teams in the top division have passed motions at their annual general meetings that the clubs have to act against the imposition of VAR. So the clubs can't. You know, the, it could be imposed on them by the FA, but if there's ever a vote, they must vote against it. And the reason is the sense that the game has been taken out of the stadium and made a, a, a TV experience. Um, but and, and the point Archie makes about flow is, is crucial. So if you look at the uh, Villa-Brighton game at the weekend, Brighton scored to make it 3-1. You know, 3-0 down, they scored to make it 3-1. And there's then a delay of about three minutes before the game kicks off while they're making sure that goal should stand. If the game kicked off immediately, they've got momentum. There's a sense, that, you know, on, on a, from the point of view of Villa, oh no, they're coming back at us. They've got three minutes to calm down. You, 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 you're stopping those emotional flows. And that actually has an impact on, on how the game goes, as well as what the experience of fans is. Moving on. Tom says, Max, we won, we scored, and we won. Please don't forget the Monday night football. Um, uh, also, who do we sign in January to keep the momentum up? We don't have a huge amount of time to talk about the, uh, uh, the two Premier League games. Uh, Fulham nil, Chelsea 2. And uh, Luton won Burnley too. Um, but uh, give us a Fulham perspective, Archie. Max, our record against Chelsea is terrible. We beat them once in our whole time in the Premier League until we beat them uh, in January of this year. Uh, yeah, we, we've all seen what Chelsea are like right now. <laughs> this is a team that was there to be beaten. Uh, Chelsea did play probably their best performance of the season. But I, I just thought the way that Fulham went about it was really poor and even the game plan from Marco Silva to try and press them high up the pitch and that be that kind of I mean I don't think the plan was to have the massive gap between the midfield and the defense when they were pressing but it was deflating very deflating as but, it is yeah but positive for Chelsea Lars yeah and, and, and it's scoring a, a nice moment for him yeah, and um, I have to, uh, you know, you got to be honest about these things. I WhatsApped a friend when the lineups came up, 
and said that, well, that, that Modric uh, Palmer Broja front three is making me having some second thoughts about my theory that Chelsea will probably be fine. And uh, not that many minutes later, I was like, yeah, okay, fine, whatever. Uh, but no, it was it was good to see. And I, it, there is there could possibly, I mean, this is a bit of a stretch, but there could be a mirror image here to uh, to uh, Pochettino at, at Tottenham when he first took over. And initially, the, it was a bit of a salvage job. They'd spent a bit of money on some players who weren't really performing. And initially, it didn't work. I mean, he struggled in the beginning. And the turning point kind of came with Harry Kane turning up for one thing, but also pivoting more away from the established stars to some of the younger, hungrier people. Now, that doesn't that that, that comparison doesn't quite work with Chelsea because their entire squad is kind of younger people, but some of them have been signed for a lot of money. But I think finding finding someone like what if Broja is the number nine they've been looking for? Like he could be. I mean that that would be incredibly helpful. What if what if Palmer is actually more useful than some of the other sort of big name players they brought in? I mean th- this is all possible and. Without wanting to be the boring man, and certainly without wanting to to urinate on Archie's cereal here, um, it I, we're, we're far enough into the season that I think it's legitimate to start looking at XG. You know, there's enough of a sample size there, and if you look at the sort of XG difference per ninety, actually Fulham haven't been very good. Fulham have actually got the second worst numbers in the league. No, I I will support that. Yeah. That that Fulham are, are getting away with it in a yeah. huge way right now, and. And to be fair to Chelsea, Chelsea are on the other end of that scale, aren't they? Totally. The second worst XG in the league so far, Fulham have, and Chelsea are like fourth or something, which again, XG can only account for so much. If you don't have a striker who can kick the ball into the net, your process can be good. You can create a lot of stuff, but you're going to underperform your numbers. So that 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 is a little bit of a concern for Chelsea. But yeah, broadly speaking, ahead of the game was numbers suggest Chelsea are actually fine and Fulham are actually bad. And after 90 minutes of football, I, I would kind of say maybe the numbers are up to something. <laughs> uh, Burnley got their first win of the season at Luton. Brilliant winner from uh, Brun Larsen uh, in the 85th minute, bending it into the uh, top corner. Um, we don't have uh, enough time to go into it in depth. Many apologies. Um, we've had lots of questions about the EFL and we're going to do an EFL pod on Tuesday uh, to cover all of that. Um, uh, we'll finish uh, back on VAR when uh, Barney was talking about um, referees on Monday. <laughs> he was coming up with bland names for referees and uh, he included Kevin Johnson, who tweeted us to say, delighted to be name-blanded by Barney Ronay on today's pod. Crushing, he says. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, we welcome all names uh, you all have equal weight on this podcast. Um, we thought and hoped that might happen, and it did. Uh, anyway, that'll do for today. Uh, thanks, Lars. Thank you, Max. Thanks, Archie. Thanks, mate. Thank you, Wilson. Cheers. Thank you. Well done, boys. Good process. Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. <laughs> Our executive producer is Danielle uh. Stevens. Oh. <laughs> this is The Guardian. Thank you.